Hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, beginnings of new companies, new ideas in consumer goods and science, sometimes even a little glimpse of the future. And maybe we'll touch on bits and pieces of all that here today. I'm with Monique Manessis, uh, who is co-founder and CEO of IOTA. Great to uh, see you. So great to be here. Thank you for having me, Mike. So why don't we start by having you tell everybody what IOTA is, what it isn't maybe, and uh, why is this what you decided to dedicate your time and talents to? Sure. Um, I'm a former beauty editor. I worked in the beauty industry for over a decade, went on, went on to consult after my beauty editor days um, with brands like Peach and Lily and Gizu. And really the idea behind IOTA started when I was a beauty editor and I had hundreds of products come across my desk and I found it all very confusing uh, because there everything was uh, directed to the consumer in terms of how to mask something, whether it was to mask scent or to mask acne, nothing really addressed the root of skin issues, which is your skin microbiome. Um, so really the idea started in my editor days and after a series of health scares before, after, uh, during and after my pregnancy, that was the, that was the real impetus to start IOTA, which is the first nutritional body care brand that really addresses skin issues before they occur and treats the heart of every single skin um, issue that we may have, whether it's accelerated aging or acne. And that's that really is your skin microbiome. So is it fair to say that IOTA is among the companies that are working to sort of improve your skin out, inside out? You know, Do sort I of fix the way your body works, your skin gets better, or uh, is that not an accurate way to sort of phrase it? Uh, it is and it isn't. I think that it is about changing the conversation. I think for the longest time when we speak about health, um, the pillars are nutrition, mental health, gut health, but there's very little, and movement of course, but there's very little conversation around skin health. And you almost want to think of it like, um, an ecosystem. Everything is related to each other and the skin health and gut health are intertwined. So when you're talking about the inside out approach, just like the way you take care of your gut health, you should be taking care of your, your skin health because the cells communicate with each other every day. And it's, it's a two-part um, structure. So that's sort of what we're bringing to the table. We're um, a smart microbiome body care line. Every single one of our of the products in our collection is all in one with an accessible price point, all the multivitamins, minerals, face grade actives. And of course, most importantly, the core and the heart of every single formulation are pre and postbiotic blend to care for and balance your skin microbiome, which is leads at ladders up to health as well. So got it. Uh, uh, now, a beauty journalist, not a microbiologist or a, a PhD in any of these things. So how do you know or how does the company know enough about the particulars of skin microbiome to come up with uh, an effective formulary and uh, approach here? I think that's a great question, Mike. Um, 
We work very, very closely with our science board, which is comprised of a leading cosmetic chemist who specializes in formulating for the microbiome. She's also the president of the National Society of Chemists. And we have two dermatologists on board, one from Brown University and the other one from Harvard. And with our lab team and our science board, who are at the forefront of microbiome research, because we are in the very beginning stages um, in terms of research. And as you'll see, the company will evolve as new research comes out and um, incorporate that into our future innovation. But um, they're, they're the brains that work alongside us to make sure that what we're doing and the thought behind every single formulation is, is up to standard. How did you find them and how did you convince them that this was a great use of their time and talents? How did you get super talented people to decide following you as in their interest? Yeah, so as a beauty editor, I interviewed multiple dermatologists and um, cosmetic chemists, and it was established relationships I had had, um, friendships I had formed, and really speaking to them about this this new type of body care that we were creating. I think for the longest time, the skin microbiome has been a topic that's not very sexy or interesting to the average consumer, That, but there are brands that have really paved the way for gut health, like Poppy and Olipop and Seed. And so I think timing was also important. You know, if we had talked about this, like say five to 10 years ago, I don't think it would have been the right time, but I think it was a confluence of events where con the conversation was headed in terms of skin health and gut health that that um, made it right for, for all the stars to align. And, you know, going back to when I really decided to pull the trigger with my husband and start this business, um, it was it was a series of health scares. So it took us many years to get pregnant. Um, during my second trimester, once we, once we went through IVF, doctors found a tumor that was the size of a tennis ball on the tip of my pancreas. And after consulting multiple cancer specialists, um, there was no consensus, whether it was cancerous or benign. And I had to make a decision right then and there, whether I was going to terminate the pregnancy or whether I was going to move forward with it. Um, everything went well, uh, luckily. And you know, after my pregnancy, I had to go back into surgery to remove the tumor. Um, luckily, it was benign, but then I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. And it's something that I have to currently take medication for. And I was, you know, never had a history of any sort of issues prior to that. So it, it was a series of questioning what what was happening in my life? You know, I felt like for the most part, I was a healthy person, but what were the small daily actions I was taking? Whether it was, um, what was I using in the bath to take a shower? Um, feminine hygiene products I was using on a daily basis that um, really spurred us to um, start IOTA. So uh, medical scares, tough pregnancy, relatively young kid, and now both you and your husband have decided to sort of land on an iceberg and uh, uh, work really hard to build something there. Tell me about your conversations about that and, and sort of how does the dynamic work? So if there's a fundamental disagreement, how do you deal with it? Who wins? And all that kind of thing. It's got to be a pretty significant challenge. It's not easy. I've... <laughs> Mike, I've listened to so many podcasts about husband and wife teams, and um, 
you know, I think that no one's really talking about how hard it is. My husband and I always joke about how if we have friends that ever come to us with an idea and say they want to work together, we will say, do not do it. No, <laughs> that, that right. all aside, it's 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 challenging. I think, you know, my husband comes from, from the world of finance. We come from two di very different worlds in terms of the way that we communicate and, you know, get an idea across. And I think it's very different when you're... Um, husband and wife, and then when you're working partners. So I think navigating that through the first two years, um, what was, was challenging, but then once you get in your groove, you know, it's, it's your spouse has your back, no matter what, it's sort of like the best business partner you can ever imagine. And I think our skill sets really complement each other. I think the problem is, you know, that work-life balance, you know, where does that fine line between husband and wife and being coworkers, where's that line? Because there really is not, there is no line. We'll go on a date night um, and, you know, be like, okay, we're not going to talk about work at all. We're just really going to focus on tonight, enjoying the night, talking about our daughter, but inevitably, you know, <laughs> within five minutes, it's, it's back to work. So I don't think it's realistic. I think that, I think in the beginning, we were all about how to set up the boundaries and ensure that we were still cultivating that relationship as husband and wife, but it, it just, it, it bleeds into it. And so it's the new normal, right? It's like, how do we operate in this new um, era of, of being both? And I, I think from, from a family perspective, I think it's great because all, our daughter gets to see us working at home, um, you know, when we come home and she gets really involved in things. When we were first formulating our body washes and we were coming out with scents, she was like, oh, let me get involved. We had 10 different scent formulations going. She took a sniff of each one and she had her own opinion. Opinion. I think at one point at school, she, uh, when she was asked, I think by the teachers, what her mom and dad do for, for a living, she said, they make bottles. <laughs> <laughs> we were just covered in bottles in the first, in the first year. And, um, so I think that's what really stuck with her, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a family business. It's, it's really tough, but, um, where we were each other's anchor, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster ride as a founder. There are days that are really great and exciting that move the needle forward. And there are days where you are, all you want to do is, is lie on the couch because something has happened and you're like, I don't even, how am I going to move forward? But you have that anchor, you have someone to like talk things through, figure out a solution because you have to make it work. And in terms of arguments and who wins what, I think maybe we, when we were husband and wife, it's like, yeah, who won this argument? Who won that? It's definitely a different mentality when you're husband, when you're coworkers, because it's not about winning. It's about problem solving together. It's, we don't have time because we're a two person team right now. That's really wearing all the hats. We don't have time to get mired in the minutia of an right. argument. It's, we need to solve this problem now. We need to move on because there's a next, another issue that we're going to need to solve in about five to 10 minutes. Right. And you talked about that. So this is a really early company. You're off to a really great start. But uh, it's uh, it's really early. So talk to that a little bit. Is it literally just the two of you? Is the product laying all over their you know, front room and, and that kind of thing? And uh, I know you're on a potentially a very short ramp to profitability, which is kind of amazing. But what do you do after that? I mean, uh, uh, you know, are you going to be um, a family business or is this the uh, initiation of something 
much grander that you have in mind? Uh, I think we have very, very high ambitions for 2024. It's really going to be, you know, we've taken a lot of learnings from the past year. We've spoken to our customer base, really, really heard what they had to say in terms of what they love about the product, what they might want to see um, in the future, what things they might want changed. And I'm really excited for you to see what's to come. Um, I'm actually going to ask you a question because sure. I... I'm very curious, as uh, in your professional opinion, how you see the direct-to-consumer landscape changing, if at all, in the next 12 to 18 months. Sure. Well, you know, if you think about it that way, that could be viewed as a much bigger question than you just framed it, because at core, you're asking, are people going to change uh, over the next 12 to 18 months? And the answer to that is, without question, there's too much at play, too many variables out there too many stresses, that it's at all likely that the world next year is going to be the same as the world right now, and the situation that folks are in will be the same. So uh, uh, people are going to change, and as they change what they think changes, what they do changes, what they buy changes, who they talk to changes, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, we're uh, interested in what we call emotional consumer goods, because our funds are about delight. And we see more and more research indicating that at core, across ages, cultures, people are saying, I'm in charge. This is about me. I want agency here. I want to feel like I'm interacting with products and people inside the companies that produce those products that actually appear to care about me and what I think and what I want. So they're going to be looking at you and go, really, Minnie? You care whether my skin is healthy? How do I know that? How do I see that in your product? Uh, how do I believe that? If I do believe it, I'm going to start telling everybody uh, about it and uh, become your greatest advocate and help you build something great. If I don't believe it, the potential is there for me to just turn on you and go, just another bunch of ponies, just another bunch of uh, all hat, no horse talk it up, but don't really believe. Uh, and, and so when we're looking at companies in this area, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the fundamentals. Is this the right set of ingredients, all of that? Uh, uh, but more, even more, we're looking at their indications that what's going on with you and the folks that you're reaching out to has the potential for explosive incandescence. It suddenly uh, it's going to go. And and that's why we invested. So uh, uh, I think uh, I'd encourage you to look for that wherever you see it, wherever you see that spark blow on it, wherever you see uh, uh, the potential for uh, something, even if it's sort of short lived, that launch was amazing. Learn from it. Just keep accreting that and and not just rhetoric, focus on being true to your customer, true to yourself, uh, keeping your promises to them, et cetera. That being said, we haven't, we've done a number of these companies now over a seven, eight year period. We don't have a single one that has gone to full success purely through direct to consumer. So direct to consumer is a fabulous way to launch. It's a fabulous way to learn to get initial revenue, to grow.
But every single company at some point has gone, you know, I got to do Alta. I have to do Target. There have to be extended ways to get to customers outside of our direct control. And the really smart ones go, you know, I can give up some margin to get some expanse there, but I can then get some learning and feed the learning back to them because they don't know anything about what's going on in the customers and start building natural complexity in the company. And that's one of the things we'll be looking for as you grow. The companies that take off are doing that. They, they're listening to the market. They're talking to the market. They believe what they believe, but they're always open to change. And it's that process of change under control that produces the uh, success. That's such valuable information and insight. Thank you. What would you say is the number one thing that um, DTC founders often overlook or underestimate as challenges when it comes to meeting their growth expectations? Indifference. You know, uh, uh, I, I can't think of a time when uh, we saw a deck or had a, a first session with a founder where the founder said, you know, the world really could care less whether my company succeeds or fails. If my product never saw the light of day, the world will go on just fine. Uh, it's always XYZ is broken. We have to fix it. Everything is changing. There's a huge gap. We're going to dive into it. But the truth is that, you, you know, we were talking earlier, you're busy with your company, your marriage, your kid, your family, all kinds of things. You don't wake up in the morning and go, I wonder what I can do about my skin microbiome today. It's just part of the whole panoply of, of your life. So uh, the big thing companies that are new have to overcome is the enormous weight of that flywheel. How do you turn the flywheel? How do you get anybody to care about you, anybody to trust you enough to interact with you? You know, so that kind of expresses itself in things like you need to understand the market as it is and fit into it before you can change it. So um, it, it's um, uh, the most frequent thing we see that challenging is just that, the recognition that the world is so big, so complicated, people are so quixotic that this is going to be a whole lot harder than you think it is, whatever you think on the day you meet us. And, and then the team, the leadership, the company has to adjust to that uh, complexity, the unexpected that comes to every company, get over that hump, and then the company can start to grow. So um, yeah, you will have good days, you will have bad days, and you will have days where what's coming in from the outside world doesn't make any sense, and that's because human beings are involved. Right. <laughs> um... We 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 briefly touched upon the fact that my husband and I, you know, it's it's sort of a two-person team. Of course, we have our scientist our science board and our lab team, but really we're 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 doing we're worrying, juggling multiple hats throughout the company. At some point down the line, you know, we'll we'll hire. And I guess my question is if you were running your own DTC brand and, and this is not category specific, what would your first full-time hire be and why? Yeah, it's a very uh, situation-specific thing. So I'd have to sort of be there with you to say in your specific case, so I'm going to talk more historically and about you. Um, if you don't have the right... So one of the uh, things we used to say 
about advertising when I was back in the media business. I started as a journalist like you did is nothing's worse than putting great speakers on a bad stereo. Mm -hmm. So if your product isn't right, there's nothing you can do about it. You can only fool some of the people, some of the time, et cetera. So at core, the first thing you have to get right is the product. You can, you may have gotten that pretty close to right by all of the indications now, but as you start to learn from the market, that's key. So, and that tends to be the toughest hire. Who's the head of product? Who's able to talk to you guys in a way you can tolerate and respect? Able to talk to customers and others in the market? Able to talk to engineers or scientists? That is a rather extraordinary set of skills. So that tends to be really hard hire and also test you a little bit because are you ready to have somebody speak truth to power and deal with it as opposed to go, my company, not your company. No, 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 no. Um, and then the second one is, uh, you know, if you have the right product then you got to get revenue. So how are you getting revenue now? And if it's D to C now, it's, it's all about customer acquisition and retention and session behaviors and pricing and uh, secondary messaging to folks and all of that. But if you imagine that at some point you may go omni-channel, then you probably need to have somebody, at least as an advisor, who can help you there with the potential of coming on board. So it's a function of who you're selling to and how you're selling. If you're selling jet airplanes, you want one kind of revenue generator. If you're selling into Target, you want somebody almost certainly who sold successfully into Target or Walmart or Sephora or Alta before. If you believe the right strategy is direct to consumer US, then direct to consumer Asia, then direct to consumer Europe, then let multi-channel emerge, your revenue person is somebody who sold successfully here, sold successfully there, you know, and it's very important to get the right people in those roles. That's easy to say and very hard to do. So I often advocate have, we even do this at the fund, have them come in as an advisor for four months, five months, and then see if you fall in love with one another. Uh, with the revenue person, make a very one-sided offer toward the company. In other words, uh, you're going to get paid really poorly until you deliver Alta. And when you deliver Alta, you're going to get very rich rewards for doing that. And uh, if the candidate is going, why would I want to do that? You know who I am? Probably not the right person. Yeah. Uh, if the candidate is like, I know I can do this. So since I know I can do this, let's talk about how uh, many options I get, because I'm going to make this company really valuable, probably the right person. But even then, it's it's like, let's do this part-time maybe, and then we'll accelerate it to full-time when you make the first sale so that you know the money that goes out the door, you can't get back. So the offers being made by new hires are contingent. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And the money going out the door is a ratchet. It will never come back. So Keep that in mind. Thank you. So um, right now, uh, early, we're so excited to be here. Um, as you're going forward over these next few months, you're, you're likely to be facing this almost every day, profit today or growth, profit today or higher. Um, 
in your own mind, how are you going to manage that dichotomy? Is it profit first, then grow, or willing to take on a little risk to spur growth? What do you think you're going to do? That's a great question. I just think that at the end of the day, um, it really is about what is going to help us serve our customers best, right? I think that's that's the best answer. And are we are we coming out with product that really fulfills their need? I think brand awareness is going to big a bit be a big uh, a big goal for us in the next year. I mean, like I said, the past year has really been about learnings. We're taking all those learnings from the past year and we are ready to go. Um, Solidifying our positioning in the market, really making it clear and helping our customers understand why exactly and how exactly we're different from what's available to them. Pushing forward our messaging of skin health, but making it accessible and sexy and understandable and fun. And I think, you know, my answer today could could change the next month and the next, I mean, it's like, I, that's what I've learned as a founder is that it's a work in progress and it's hard to say, you know, 2024, this is, this is what it's going to be. This is like the forecast because life throws you a curveball and you kind of just have to adapt with the situation, but we're really excited to, to, to bring you a lot of newness and a lot of innovation for, for the next year. Sounds great. And we could probably talk for hours, but I think we should maybe wrap here uh, for now. And let's do it again in a few months and see how things are uh, are going. That would be great. Thank you for your time, Mike. Sure thing. Great to talk.